Bitcoin Roundtable. Random musings and interviews about Bitcoin. Well, thank you for coming back, everybody, this week. Um, this is episode 69 of Bitcoin Roundtable. And we have a special guest who I believe is from Australia. And his name is Bitcoin Benny. Welcome to Bitcoin Roundtable, Benny. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Oh, we appreciate you taking the time. So let's kick it off by telling us what it is you do. Yeah, sure. So um, I am actually currently the GM of uh, Komodo. Uh, Komodo is a uh, platform that's quite well known, uh, one of the top 50 projects, uh, as well as also just uh, doing a new startup, which is uh, called Red Fox Labs, which will be based in Vietnam, and that's a venture builder. So we replicate um, unicorn companies for the emerging markets in Southeast Asia, and we use the technology of Komodo to um, disrupt legacy models. So what we're doing is, and my focus is, is to focus on mass adoption. And the way I do that is to try and make sure that the end users of the products, companies or services that we build uh, don't necessarily know that they're actually um, interacting with blockchain and therefore don't have to go through the rigmarole of learning how to set up wallets, um, trading on exchanges, much more about the underlying tech and how um, that can help sort of enhance people's lives. So the Komodo platform is the more of the underlying operating system that runs all of this? Yeah, so effectively you think of Komodo as um, Linux because it's an open source platform. So it's an end-to-end -end platform. And then Red Fox is like the Red Hat um, so what we do is we build companies uh, on top of that technology. But the way Komodo works is that any chain that you spin up uh, from Komodo is actually a clone. So you've got your own independent um, blockchain. Co-host uh, Darren is just locked in the room. So I'd like to introduce you to Darren. Darren, Benny, Benny, Darren. <laughs> Hi, Benny. How are you? Hey, nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you as well. Darren's got a bit of more of a uh, computer background <laughs> than I do. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. It's um. Well, well, I think the thing that's been difficult for people to get their heads around with uh, Komodo is that it's um, uh, largely finished and it has the uh, delayed proof of work, so protection against 51% attacks. It's got the uh, interoperability, uh, and they were the ones that pioneered and, and really mastered uh, atomic swaps. Have done um, well over 100. 25,000 atomic swaps now. Yep. So I think a lot of people sort of say, okay, well, what can you use it for? What's the uh, end use case? So having a Red Fox Labs or the company that we're building at now come, come across, we can now put it into a familiar package and have companies running on top. So it takes the, takes the need to understand uh, technology layer out of the equation. Right, right. And security is a non-issue? Um... Yeah, with the delayed proof of work, what it basically means is that um, uh, we take a snapshot of the chain that you've built every minute, um, and then the notary nodes on Komodo write that information back to the Bitcoin blockchain every 10 minutes. So effectively, for someone to 51% attack your chain, regardless of what your hash rates are, uh, they would have to take down your chain, Komodo, and Bitcoin all at the same time. Right. So very, very unlikely to be um, to be attacked. So that's that's basically been a um, technology that we've offered for a couple of years, but now we're starting to actually integrate other chains outside of Komodo's ecosystem as well, including some ERC20 projects as well. Okay. 
And what is the what has the reception been like for this uh, this system? Um, actually, to be honest, it's actually um, there's more demand than we can actually meet. Um, so it's a matter of trying to st- streamline the process. Obviously, coins that are um, using the same protocol as Komodo are a lot easier to integrate. ERC-20 tokens take a, a lot longer to, to migrate and integrate across. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the reception's been extremely strong and we've had a bit of help because uh, we've had a p- very public uh, person say that they're going to go on an attack and uh, 51% attack one of the chains uh, live and uh, they had to boycott and choose a different target, which they were successfully allowed able to, which was not on our protection. So that, that gave us a, a, a good bit of publicity as well. Right. Um, and, and now we've got a waiting list of projects trying to come across for the 51% attack protection. So the clients that this system would serve are, are companies that are trying to or are working on coming up with a, a, a cryptocurrency coin or they already have one in existence or they already have one in existence but it might be one of it might be a um a coin that has for example um low transaction volume okay. and low hash rate so because of that as you probably saw last year the um, end of last year etc got um 51% attacked and that's obviously a pretty large project and a pretty high transaction rate so what's what chance do a lot of these smaller projects have of protecting themselves so this basically combines the hash rate of um, uh, Bitcoin and Komodo as, uh, in addition to your chain's hash rate so it gives these smaller chains with less transactions uh, a, a chance to protect themselves against 51% attacks right so would you say that the number one problem that Komodo would solve is basically almost eliminating the possibility of a 51% attack? Yeah, that was that was what the original design and uh, concept was. And um, what they've now done is they've now uh, also developed a thing called Crypto Conditions Contracts, which is effectively uh, the next generation version of smart contracts. Um, that are all written in uh, C and C++. Now, what what they actually do is they're multi-layered and because Komodo doesn't have gas um, and and the side chains, effectively what it means is that you can now do uh, multi-layered contracts uh, at, at an almost free cost to execute. So this is a bit of a game changer because it means that um, complex structures and setups can now be executed uh, and this is what we're really sort of pushing now, um, the ability to be able to sort of uh, to do next generation smart contracts. Okay, so I would say, so next gen, would would you consider like something like Tron or EOS to be in that realm or? Uh, I think this is, a, this is quite a different system um, in, in the way that it works, but uh, I mean, ultimately it's a blank canvas and you can create um, any any type of contract that you like. Okay. But the difference is that um, uh, the, the 
they have, they have to be built from scratch. So um, you have to be fairly specific on what you want built, and then there's a, um, a fair bit of setup. But what we're doing now is starting to produce a number of templates so that people can use uh, uh, pre-designed templates. But really? obviously, people with good coding skills can come along and build whatever they like at the moment already. Um, they don't need to wait for it to be built and uh, commercially available. They can just come in and take that raw open source code and, and build it themselves. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess uh, to, it, it sounds like your your end clients would have would at least have somebody or a, a team of people who are quite capable programmers anyways. But uh, I was curious about the UI aspect of it as well. But I mean, the templates. Yeah. 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 The, the UI side is um, Komodo's never, uh, it's not ever been Komodo's strong suit because Komodo's basically trying to build the base uh, layer of technology like your, like your Linux type of thing yeah. where that, where it remains open source. And that's why uh, Red Fox Labs, the um, project that uh, I'm just setting up now um, that that project becomes the um, the the GUI, uh, contains all the GUIs and the user interface side of things. It is much more of a um, ready to go enterprise level um, product and service on the Komodo technology. Right. Well, sounds hmm. sounds like a pretty cool concept. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you know, getting rid of the the potential for fifty one percent attack. I mean, that's. I, I can only assume that's a, a, the major worry of, a, you know, a lot of the, I guess, the cryptocurrencies that are probably not in the top 40 or, you know. Exactly. Right. And I there's mean, a lot of them. It, so Absolutely. And you think about it, we're still a long way from mass adoption. So a lot of these uh, transactions and a lot of the um, hash rates for these coins, especially in a bear market, are are um, yes. not high enough to protect themselves. And, and the thing is that the last thing you need as a brand new or starting out project that might be, you know, number 800 or 900 on coin market cap is to think to yourself, I'm a sitting duck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. The last thing, you, you, want to, you want to give a, you want to have a fair fighting chance when you start. And the good thing about it is because um, the late proof of work is part of Komodo's um, system, which is uh, open source, the cost to integrate is literally the labor cost to um, to integrate the system. Right. And um, you're talking about a couple of thousand dollars yeah. to be able to, to protect your chain. And I mean, anyone who um, wouldn't take advantage of that, and that's why it's probably more popular than we can keep up with because Komodo's um, outlook from the beginning wasn't to sort of have a corporate venture that makes millions of dollars out of fee for service that was supposed to be affordable, accessible, and um, mass adoptable. So mm-hmm. um, by doing it that way, the demand is obviously very high for a very cheap service, and yeah. therefore there's a, there's a waiting list of uh, people trying to get integrated and protected. So why did you choose to go this th- that route? If if you don't mind me asking, like with the yeah, well, the the, the, the founder um, when he set this up, his um, his view was very much about mass adoption, and it was supposed to be fair, uh, accessible to everybody, um, and not out of reach for anybody. And even though it's open source and it's and it's largely free, that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be good. And <laughs> they don't spend a lot of money on marketing which makes sense because if you're not having defined revenue streams and lots of money coming in, why would you spend all of your money trying to market something that you don't sell 
where you could be using that marketing money for further development. So we see a lot of projects out there trying to raise 20, 30, 40 million dollars just to solve one component that's already been solved and you can access for free. And it's just due to people's lack of knowledge that they're still investing in other projects trying to solve a product that's a a problem that's already solved. And and technically that that company that raised 20 million could literally just take the open source tech that we have and and just rebadge it or use it. So yes. and some do. And they do, and, and they have. Um, yeah. But the thing is that that uh, the idea and the concept is pretty pure behind Komodo, and that is get it to as many people as we can and for as little cost as possible. And um, that's where why Red Fox has sort of come along and said, well, hang on, we should be building some pretty amazing stuff on the end of this technology that does cost money, that is worth... Because um, obviously you've got to go through the code audits and you've got to make sure that everything's safe to use. and. Yes. and the one thing that's really missing in the industry is we don't really have 24-hour, seven-day-a-week support at an enterprise level uh, with qualified, certified technicians making sure that you've got the right infrastructure in your business before you adopt or integrate blockchain technology and that you can ring someone 24-7 and lodge tickets and get personalized real-world support. So this type of stuff is, is why Red Fox and other companies are setting up is to try and help uh, take this technology and put it into the end user's hand and then provide the peace of mind knowing that it's quality audited and for example Red Fox has uh, joined forces with Hacken, the cyber security firm to make sure that we've done all the pen testing and the auditing that's required before it goes into uh, end users uh, homes or businesses Wow, jeez Well I mean you know that's <laughs> kudos <laughs> kudos to you and the firm for taking that road, I mean it's obvious that someone has dabbled a long time in the open source world and still holds those qualities dear right like not just making money hand over fist off the backs of the people that sometimes can't afford it i think that to be honest um that's why we wanted to build out red fox labs because effectively it helps bring more awareness to the Komodo technology and platform and ultimately speaking the more developers that are attracted into the platform the more easier to use uh, UI and and products and services that will be available to the public so by producing an enterprise version you're helping to keep the open source version alive and thriving yes wow well much like uh, Red Hat you know and all all those Linux providers right that's where the idea and the, the, I guess the spark came from and it, and it took, literally it took a year to get the, the model right for the enterprise side because you've got two options. A lot of the projects are facing the same sort of a problem with this bear market. You've either got two options. You can stay true to your roots and you can stay as open source as you possibly can and bring in an element of corporate and sort of contaminate and change the whole structure of your business for survival or what you can do is you can say, let's leave it as it is because it's supposed to be that way and let's build an enterprise feeder that attaches to supports and, and um, helps it without actually fundamentally changing the way the company was originally intended to, to function. Right, yeah. right. And in the meanwhile, providing stakeholders with an added sense of security that, you know, like their investment's not going to get blown out of the water. Hmm. Uh, percent yeah. attackers. Right. Oh, that's really and cool. I think the thing you've got to be mindful of is that um, any company that's trying to actually 
identify that an enterprise version is needed and it, a, a safe version is needed and developers are attracted into the ecosystem without blowing what little money they have on uh, needless marketing and advertising when you can do it through smarter ways. I think it does bode well for the investors because they're thinking these guys are really trying to secure the future of this project and trying to make sure that it reaches its full potential. So I think it's a win-win for everybody. Oh, I'd agree. Yeah, I'd agree. Sounds like it. I mean, you know, with the objective of pushing or, you know, assisting and helping the adoption of cryptocurrencies, you know, through this effort. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a no-brainer. It's, I mean, if I'm investing in a, you know, and I, I've lost money <laughs> on, uh, on coins, right? And it's... You know, and, and some of it, sure, you learn your lessons. Like some coins, you have to look at the base case for the reason they exist. Yeah. Um, you know, but um, some coins, they pass those tests. But with, you know, low adoption rates and usage, maybe this coin's only worth um, 10 cents a coin instead of 80 cents a coin because so many people aren't willing to invest because they're worried that it's it's going to get to, you know, suffer from a 51% attack and, you know, things exactly. like that. Yeah, so for and sure. You, you go back to the beginning of the dot-com boom and you had pets.com and all these types of sites. Yeah. You think about it, these, these sites were spending, you know, 30 times uh, their revenue on marketing. Yeah. Um, and, and we've got a lot of very talented developers or guys with good ideas coming in and building a company but they might not have ever actually run uh companies in the like um you know conventional businesses they don't understand um how to how to scale up and scale down or to be agile and there was a lot of people that sort of saw huge money come into these projects um, in the last bull run and they were employing people for way above what they should be paying them because they had to attract them across from the corporate world. <laughs> of course. Suddenly the money dries up or it's not worth anything anymore and, and, and uh, you think, oh, hang on a minute, we're in a bit of trouble here. And you've yeah. had some projects with good intentions fold just through mismanagement. You've had others that held on to their raise in crypto and got absolutely crucified. Yeah. Um, it's easy to see how so many projects have gone belly up and there's a lot that are just sort of hoping and praying the bull market comes back because they're down to their last few dollars and cents now so that's right it's going to be an interesting period sure yeah. oh yeah i have no doubt of that mm -hmm. um, well you know on the uh, on the upside the the survivors you know in, in some ways you know they've survived the the test of of fire right so well, very much like bitcoin may be a survivor yeah maybe so yeah true enough Hmm, interesting. I, I think I think there's a group of projects who have sort of been through this four or five times already and are thinking to themselves, good riddance to a few of the um, the other projects. And I think that those I think the the experience of going through a bear market, um, if if they, these projects can survive, they become more immune to the future bear markets because they uh, they learn some very very valuable lessons. But uh, oh, I think we're going to see a lot evaporate. Yeah, well, and many already have, but uh, but yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, the parallels of you know the your objectives of the company, you know, providing services at a at a realistic price, you know, and over delivering, um, in kind of a it just rings kind of true of like you know the potential future error that I see with uh, a lot of the millennials, the envisioning, you know. 
less corporatism, uh, less gouging, more the open source adoption and embracing, uh, much like the cryptocurrencies, you know, apparently the millennials are are the widest believers and embracers in cryptocurrency right now. So it all it all speaks to an interesting future going forward and probably a, a bit more positive than the realm we're in now. Yes. I think the thing that's important about what you just said then as well is that the, the, it's a very romantic notion to have decentralized, free, open source, awesome, cutting edge tech that's polished and, and all the rest of it. But the reality is you still need money coming in to fund that, to fund the people that are doing that and to keep things operational. So to be able to have and preserve that type of a model and having an enterprise corporate model feeding that and making sure that it can survive and continue and and operate as is is kind of the best of both worlds really because we're seeing a lot of those as you said the, the the projects that would attract those millennials have had to adopt and adapt to survive in the bear market and realistically they're not identifiable as the same project they were you know, three months before the bear market anymore. They've, they've had to make some hard choices, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You got to do what you got to do to survive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, True I, enough. I yeah. can identify with that. Yes. Yes. Oh, very good. Yeah. Uh, you got questions? Well, yeah, I do. I, I'm off, I'm often curious about uh, what the rest of the world thinks of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Uh, I'm kind of sheltered yeah. up here in uh, Ontario, and I was on your Twitter page and saw that you do quite a bit of traveling. Yes. What are you seeing out there as far as adoption goes? Do you like where it's heading? It's a good question. Um, I think personally, we are seeing something very similar um, pop up. Um, uh, again and again and again and what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of people sort of say or governments especially saying we believe in the technology we think it's really good we're not quite sure where it's going to go or or what what its full scope could be Uh, and we do like it we do embrace it however what we do not want to see is cryptocurrency replacing our fiat (laughs) so because that's taxable, trackable, uh, yeah. obviously a lot of vested interest from banks and other groups, but um, the majority of the countries, and including Vietnam, where we're based at the moment, are saying, we're happy for you to buy the coins, we're happy for you to sell the coins, we're happy for you to run ICOs, we're happy for you to, to do what you like with it. But if you try and use that cryptocurrency for something that is normally um, a fiat transaction, we do not allow that. It is not legal oh is that right so, really yeah yeah so so um a lot of these countries are trying to protect the value of their 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 fiat so they're saying you can you can use it for whatever you like um swap it collect it trade it but do not use it for the purchase of goods or um, assets or or anything that the, the uh, local currency is used for <laughs> that does not help for adoption <laughs> no um uh. Yeah, but ultimately, you know, the game plan is it's governments and Bitcoin. It's almost two sides of the coin. They'll always be at odds with each other, right? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I just, now, some governments, I'm sure, are more progressive. And I mean, Japan, I think, is probably one. And Switzerland. To me, Switzerland feels like a place where the people have more say in what they want, perhaps. But 
I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've I've come to the conclusion that the adoption of Bitcoin. I'm I'm feeling quite not certain, I guess, but uh, close to certain that it will come. Maybe not in my lifetime, but I I I definitely have a feeling it's not going to be a peaceful transition. Well, I think to be honest, I think um, we're going to see more and more the tech develop where a coin or currency is not required. Yeah. And, and I think what you'll find is that um, the technology will be adopted uh, a lot faster than cryptos as, as far as um, the wide mass adoption is concerned. So right. I think I think most most areas that we travel to and most of the governments are very, very, very much in favor of what blockchain could potentially bring uh, and do. And a lot of these countries like Vietnam, for example, they did not capitalize during the dot-com boom. And they said they were slow off the mark and they were they didn't embrace the new technology and they're not gonna be left behind this time. So they're, right. they're investing heavily in research and development and understanding what the technology can do. Yes. Um, but they're not they're not in any hurry to uh, be a, be more user friendly or um, adopt the, the currencies. Right. They like the technology. They just don't want to be able people to be able to use the coin. Correct. Yeah. 100%. Hmm. Well. So at the moment, that's a kind of a, a, an interesting dilemma because most of these um, chains are dependent on coins. Yeah. So, so as I say, as the technology develops, there'll be less dependency on on needing a coin for for the use of the technology, and we'll see. I think we'll see adoption of the technology much quicker than the, the currencies. I'd agree. I'd agree for sure. For sure. Yeah. And to some degree, I mean, even. Um, a related point with the technology I mean for the end user say you know that is holding a cryptocurrency whatever form you know in their wallet or their desktop computer or their laptop you know I mean up till now it hasn't been a simple experience for the end user um, you know and uh, I think Andreas Antonopoulos touched on it a bit where you know, you're not going to really see a strong adoption of, of crypto and Bitcoin until it becomes simpler for somebody to yes. store it, yet also, you know, um, with the same or better security. I, I don't, I, I, I can't envision what the what that will look like yet in, in the future, but uh, I, I kind of agree with him on that side of it too. So when you say technology to me, it's, it's, it, it's technology from even in when you're talking about cell phone wallets or, um, you know, minimizing uh, transaction block sizes, right? They try to keep the, uh, the transact, you know, the downloading and then the, the Bitcoin core, right? Like, right. What is it now? How many terabytes? <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, things like that. You think about it, if you go back to the beginning of the, again, using the dot-com boom, we thought that the internet was going to do A, B, and C, and by the time, or yeah, fast forward to today, and it's being used for X, Y, and Z yes. things that, that yeah. were never even thought of or anticipated, and it's changed the way we operate, and it's become uh, a vital part of everyone's everyday life, but for very, very different reasons than we thought in the beginning that it would, yeah. and I, I think anyone who thinks that, that we've already seen the full potential of blockchain or or what it's going to do for us um, is dreaming. I, I, I think that not until we get a lot more development, we iron out some kinks, we uh, work with regulators, um, we're not going to really understand 
what its full long-term um, benefit will be. Right. You know, I wish I had... I wish I had. <laughs> I wish I had saved something that I read on uh, Reddit once, you know, and, and there was a, a person that, you know, perhaps somebody was just imagining or dreaming, but wrote a, wrote a story about a day in his life, you know, in 2040, when, you know, he, he was using the cryptocurrencies and such. And I just, I remember being blown away when I read it, the amount of transactions that are automated and set up in his life that, that he no longer had to deal with because it was all just programmed into the system, right? Like, yeah. I wish I had it. I can't even describe it, but it's, it, yeah, I mean, who knows what it turns into, but it really opened my eyes when talking to other people and you see what they imagine and, you know, For sure. who knows what it and becomes. I, I think, I think you think people that are involved in it on a day-to-day basis like today i was sitting uh, in a meeting and i was with a lawyer and i was thinking to myself you know these lawyers get like 450 bucks an hour or 500 bucks an hour yeah. and you're sitting in a meeting with these these people and you're thinking i reckon it's not going to be too long until we don't need you That's which right. would be kind of cool to not have to pay you with 450 bucks an hour and people can just sort of set up this and we don't need these trust-based systems and contracts because we can actually uh we can actually configure and set them up ourselves and we know that they're, Rock they're governed by, by blockchain law i think this is um i'm already imagining things being phased out yes hmm. uh, which is you know which, which always seems to happen not as soon as you think it would but <laughs> not as quickly as it should but you know it takes a while for <laughs> yes. it to change but oh yes yeah. I, I agree with you in every way there I think to be honest I think we're probably a good um, and a lot of people get surprised by this um, especially coming from people that have been involved for years and years but uh, I think we're still a good five to ten years away from from uh, mass adoption yeah I know I, oh, I, I agree I think I completely agree with that Pro- I'd even think closer on the ten years really but part of it is technology, as you talked about yep. too, right? And that from all spectrums and usability and security and ease of use. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Well, Benny, we do not want to take up much more of your time. Um, we'd like to give you the floor for a minute to let our listeners know how they can contact you or get involved. You got the floor for a minute. <laughs> yeah, sure. So um, Bitcoin Benny is my um, uh, persona in, in the crypto space. So I'm on Twitter. Uh, Telegram, yeah, tw- uh, Twitter's probably the easiest way. I also have a YouTube channel. I'm not as active there at the moment because we've got the, a couple of projects going on at the same time. But um, the, t- the two projects that I'm heavily involved in are obviously Komodo, which is um, komodoplatform.com and uh, redfoxlabs.io. So yeah, very, very different, yet very much connected and heading in, heading in the same direction, one enterprise and one open source. Yeah, just look very, very excited to have a new wave of people come in and um, I hope and I like to think, whether it's delusional or not, that each uh, new sort of bull run brings in a, a heap of new people and I hope each new bull run um, people are coming in and seeing a fair bit of progress from the last one and starting to see some actual usable products and, and services. So. Uh, fingers crossed we um, we get a little bit more support and people peeling away the onion, the layers of the onion and trying to understand how things work and we get a lot more um, stuff built over the next year or two. Fantastic. Wonderful. Have a great night, Benny. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, yeah. thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bitcoin Roundtable. Random musings and interviews about Bitcoin.